You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Everybody, welcome back to the Ducks Limit Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you, the DU Podcast. Probably everyone listening to this episode has attended at least one Ducks Unlimited event in their in their lifetime, one of these uh, fundraising banquets. And if you have, you will have listened to this sound. And 200 on an amateur, 220 pound at about 215, and 270 pound at an amateur, 270 pound at about 300 on an amateur, 3325, 325, 325 at about 350, 325 at about $350, sold it, $325. Put that one on And so what you just heard there was the auctioneer's chant brought to you by Junior Staggs here in studio with us. And that's going to be the topic of our episode today, auctioneers and the service that they bring to Ducks Unlimited and helping us raise money for conservation is a signature part of our banquet system. And anytime I hear that, it just kind of takes me back to those those places. So joining me in studio is Junior Staggs with Auctioneer University and uh, here in West Tennessee. Junior, great to have you here in studio with us. Hey, thanks for having me, man. As well as Jimbo Robinson, Ducks Unlimited's Director of Event Marketing and Field Support. Jimbo, welcome. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Uh, To start with, let's do some introductions. Junior, tell us about yourself, who you are, and kind of we'll get into more of your story of how you came to to help Ducks Unlimited, but who are you and, and where are you from? So my name is Junior Staggs. I currently reside in the metropolitan area of Paris, Tennessee called Purrier, a little town halfway between Paris and Murray, Kentucky. I uh, was born in Alabama. I am a transplant to that area, did not grow up around the auction business. I married into the auction business about 18 years ago. Almost backed out. I was telling you guys before we got started, I suffered from debilitating stage fright. So the thought of standing in front of people the day before auction school uh, almost kept me from attending. But we went, and I guess as they say, the rest is history. My wife's uncle that started the business in 84 that I went to work for, and I worked for him until about six years ago. Went out on my own, but Katie and I have three girls. Uh, The good Lord's got a funny sense of humor, and uh, (laughs) be careful what you wish for, because I have got three beautiful girls now, and uh, we live on a little farm there in Purrier, and uh, love it. I own an auction company called Bid, Last, and Win, and just recently uh, started a a brand new auction school called Auctioneer University. The idea that an auctioneer, a professional auctioneer, a champion auctioneer such as yourself, 
could have stage fright at any point in their life is, is something I never thought I would hear. And I bet you have some amazing stories and life lessons on, on to other people listening on how you overcame that to be the person you are and to develop the skills that you have. And I bet we'll get into that as we go forward. Absolutely. Jimbo, how about yourself? Your first time on the podcast. You've been with Ducks Unlimited for a number of years. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, so uh, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, moved to South Carolina uh, in the middle part. It came back uh, of my life and then came back to Memphis in 2008 to go to work for Ducks Unlimited uh, in a different role and was a regional director for 13 years and here recently moved um, from the field back into the office uh, in my new role and duck hunting has just been a way of life in my family. My I still am very fortunate and blessed um, to hunt with my grandfather, my dad, uh, and now my son and brothers and uncles and cousins and it's it's a way of life in our family as, as my grandmother says and been blessed to have this opportunity not only to take my passion for waterfowl hunting um, as my daytime job, but also uh, to share it with my family and friends. And so, you know, the auctioneering part of, of Junior and his story and I have a lot of similarities. I think it's why we became such close friends when we did. And uh, we we joke because I say he was a blessing to my life. He says I was a blessing <laughs> to his life. So um, it's just a, it's great to be here with you all and, and especially Junior. I'm transitioning out of the regional director role um, and the many text messages we've shared since that time uh, and now. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And the fact that you identify each one uh, one another as a blessing to each other, huh. I think that means it's a good fit. You, you found who you needed to at whatever time that was in your lives. Jimbo, for those that may not be as familiar with some of the responsibilities of the positions that you've held, regional director, uh, let's start there. One of the things that we try to do on various episodes is peel back the onion a little bit on all the different aspects of Ducks Unlimited. Conservation is our business. That's the end product. But there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into raising the funding, building support, building partnerships to eventually get us to that. The event-based fundraising system is, is an absolutely crucial part of that. And most folks know Ducks Unlimited because of that event-based fundraising system, the banquet system. Absolutely. In your position, former position as a regional director, what do folks like you do? It's it's a huge undertaking. What it's, is that? It is a huge undertaking. But what you do on a day-to-day -day basis is is you're the, the face of Ducks Unlimited in the local community, but you're not the backbone. The backbone is your volunteers, your caterers, your auctioneers, your attendees, everybody else that makes up what you do. And that's one of the things I've always said. But but a regional director really uh, cultivates relationships within local communities um, all over the country um, in all 50 states. And we work to with those local communities to raise money for Ducks Unlimited. So you have a, a local committee made up of an area chairman, an area co-chairman, and those volunteers uh, with the idea of having a banquet or whatever event style you do. We have multiple uh, events now. We'll sell tickets, raise money. Um, you're kind of the cheerleader for those uh, local um, committees, and you encourage them, bring them ideas, uh, steer them in the right directions um, to making a very successful fundraising event. So it looks great uh, when you do it that night, but the, the back work uh, on the volunteers uh, teamed up with the regional director is what makes that night so successful. How many regional directors do we have across the U.S. 85. right now? 85. 85. How many events on average would each of those regional directors be responsible for? On average, I would say some probably 35, 40 events a year, big dinner events. Now, that varies, um, obviously, uh, throughout the country, but I would say on average, I'd say 30 to 40, 45 events. 
and you're on the road a fair bit. Oh, you're you're constantly on the road. Not only are you attending the event itself, uh, but you have committee meetings, you have state leadership meetings, you have state conventions, you have lunches with volunteers. I mean, it, the list goes on about how much time you spend on the road. We call it windshield time in the regional director world, but that's your time to to process and to um, talk to other regional directors or, or talk to friends and, and auctioneers. And it's kind of your, it's your office time, right? We always laugh that that's our office. Well, your office time on the phone is what is done in, in that behind that windshield and um, I, the stories that you could tell about driving uh, as a regional director. I, I, I told myself in 2011 that I was going to write a book because that somebody had given me that advice. And I, for a while, I kept notes in my phone. And then that phone probably ended up in the bottom of a duck hole somewhere. And <laughs> that stories went away. And then so did everything else. But it's the stories you can tell as a regional director are just incredible. And, and the quality time you get to spend with some of your elite, I say elite, quality volunteers is special too. A lot of those will travel to, with you to, to events and that's really where you get to kind of build that relationship not only with him but with others in his local community that he knows and, and share ideas and thoughts of what will work and that's what's so neat about our regional director system and what has been built over the years is that each regional director is his own business person. They they run their own business with their local volunteers. And that team of volunteers within their region is what makes us so successful as an organization, Ducks Unlimited, because they everybody does things different based on what you know works in your area. And that's what's so neat about what we do. It's not an in-the-box system. Junior, when you think about the Ducks Unlimited banquets, what comes to mind? Whether based on your experience as the auctioneer or attending, working with Jimbo, or any others that you may have attended as a youngster? Uh, to be honest with you, I attended my first uh, Ducks Unlimited banquet in Paris probably, what, seven or eight years ago. And uh, I guess one of the guys that had been doing that one up there, they because I, I grew up just north of Florence, Alabama, in, in a little town called Collinwood, Tennessee. I knew one person that duck hunted. We were big-time bass fishermen. My dad and I loved to smallmouth bass fish on Wilson and Pickwick Lakes. And uh, our, I think his name was Tim Aston. He was our local TWRA officer. He's the only person that I knew that even hunted ducks at the time. This was, you know, 30 years ago. So when I moved to, uh, to, to West Tennessee, you know, I was a bass fisherman. And so I really didn't. I did a little Turkey Federation stuff, a little NRA stuff, and then I got the call about uh, Ducks Unlimited and went by. And, I mean, I think Jimbo said it best. I mean, that regional director, I mean, I thought basically Jimbo was Ducks Unlimited. You know, and I did that one a couple times. And then I think seven years ago, I filled in for a guy in, uh, in New Madrid for that, that Riverbend chapter. Oh, my goodness. It's so much fun. I mean, and, and this is going to sound cliche when I say it, but, but that, that group of folks— becomes family. They really do. Jimbo alluded to the fact that that he and I, you know, uh, we, we consider each other blessings. See, I, I lost my dad uh, March 14th of 19, or 2019. So it's been just a little over four years ago. And so needless to say, uh, the best way I've heard that put is that when you lose a, a, a father, it's like living beside a mountain your entire life and waking up one morning and the mountain's gone. So I was, train was running off the tracks. And that, that fall, he called me and he's like, hey man, uh, well, it was right after the, the Paris event. He says, would you like to do a big event for us in Memphis? And I'm like, yeah. I didn't realize how much I needed that event. And that's really what kind of kicked off our friendship was that big, it's the big sponsor event, wasn't it? I think it we was did, the, the Memphis dinner that 
And then we did this. Yeah, of it, we did. I mean, one. and after that, I mean, that's why I was because I knew the fairgrounds and I knew these smaller buildings. That, and then we come down here, and then that, that's why I was telling one of the girls that was showing me around today. I mean, this is my first time back in the belly of the beast, if you will. I mean, I've seen it outside after hours, but there are many cars out there now as there would be almost for a banquet down here, you know. But so the original question was, what do I think? I think of family. I think of fun. And of course, when I get involved, I think of fast talking. Yeah, you know. But it is. We, we just try. <laughs> We try to have fun. You come in. Uh, it, it, we, we try to keep the process moving along. We know you've got things to do. We live in a busy world, so we try to get these things over as quickly as we possibly can. But, yeah, I mean, these these folks become family, and uh, we, we try to have fun when we're doing it. One thing I'll say here is people are listening to this. I obviously have Jimbo and Junior here in the, in the studio with us, and we're going to be hearing some of their story and experiences, but there are hundreds, if not thousands, of other people across this country, hopefully listening to this episode, who are also represented by Jimbo and Junior in the stories that they bring and their experiences within the Ducks Unlimited Banquet System event, event-based fundraising system. You guys are just the ones that are here local and able to tell to tell this story about a very important and sort of signature aspect of of Ducks Unlimited, quite frankly. Uh, so I want to make sure that we give credit to all those other people that, that are virtually here with us in this conversation. And kind of to that point, Jimbo, is this, this idea of how do we select? What are the many different ways in which uh, an RD or the volunteers or, or anybody else associated with those local chapters, how do they go about selecting an auctioneer like what's that i'm sure there's tons of different ways in which that happens but based on your experience and what you've heard from some of your other rds how do y'all go about that i think one of the the main things is that the volunteers on the on the local community they they will in every community you go to they somebody knows an auctioneer and in certain areas the auctioneer business is bigger than it is in other areas and i don't think i knew that um before i came to work at du and in this banquet system, but local volunteers when we get together and it'll be like, hey, my cousin is an auctioneer. And or man, there's a guy that does the auctions every Thursday at the car lot. And there's I think and Junior can correct me if I'm wrong. And um, but there are auctioneers that do it for a living and there are auctioneers that do it for fun. And how that's broken in between there is probably a thousand different things. Sure. But I, I would I would say that an auctioneer for a Ducks Unlimited event, most of the time, they understand what we do, most of them. And if they don't understand, they become familiar with the process. But some people hire companies and some people hire buddies and some people hire, you know, a friend of a friend um, that they know that's a really good auctioneer. And it's a, it's kind of, like caterers, and I'm going to use this in a loose term. If there's any auctioneers, there probably will be a lot of auctioneers listening, but um, it's kind of like a caterer. You know, if you you find a caterer that works and fits for your local area and fits with your people, then you just ride with that same caterer multiple times. And I think that one of the things that I learned that I probably didn't learn early in my career as regional director that I did later on was when somebody learns your people, that is the best thing you can have. Because they understand when to push, they understand when to pull back, they understand when to make a joke, they understand when not to make a joke. And I I, I have been a part of crowds where I wanted to crawl under the table because you're <laughs> standing up in the front of the room with that person as a representative of this, of you, Ducks Unlimited, in this local community. And when, if they say something that goes 
not well in the crowd, they're looking at you and all those people in that community, and those volunteers are going to wear you out. And that's that's one of the things that I think it's a trust factor between a regional director and a auctioneer and, and that local community that builds. And I think that the way that that local group selects an auctioneer is a lot of times they, they know somebody, but they also lean on the regional director's advice for what he's seen in other areas that works. How important is that to be able to, as an auctioneer, to read the room, to know the people. I've been to DU banquets sometimes that are in the immediate wake of some big um, some big national event. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all that, that that goes on as well that you have to be aware of sometimes. But just on a fundamental basis, how important is it for you as an auctioneer to be able to read the room and then maybe adjust your tactics on a given night? I think it's everything. I really, I, I think it's everything. I, I... When I'm when I'm teaching my auction school or presenting a class somewhere, I have I have this this process that I call the three little P's. You prefer, you plan, you practice, and you perform. But the most important of those three little P's is the pivot. Mm. Okay, that's the one that's left out. But it is. Yeah. It's the most important. I think it's the most important in life. And you you kind of said that. How do you adjust? So if you walk in and there has been something, you know, you you have to be able to cater to that crowd. And I mean, and that's one of those things. I mean, there Jimbo alluded to the fact that I mean the the you think of auctioneers, and, and one of the first things, if you introduce yourself as an auctioneer, the, the first thing the general public wants you to do is talk fast. I make my living as an auctioneer, and I talk fast the least amount, okay? It's kind of like the cherry on top. It's what everybody knows. It's the it's the marketing. It's the contract negotiating. It's the, it's the item knowledge and things like that. But when you come into one of these things, I think it's equally important that you you know the product that you're selling, you know? I mean, Jimbo, and you, I don't know if you saw that earlier, but when, when you handed me this decoy to sell as we we led into it. I don't know ducks. I don't care to tell you. I've never sat in a duck pit in my life because I'm a bass fisherman. Everybody told me it was more addictive and more expensive than bass fishing. And I was like, I don't know if I can handle both of those <laughs> because I was lucky enough to marry a really good bass fisherman. She can outfish me. And I was like, I don't know if I can handle both of these. So when I picked it up, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, well, I could shoot a picture of this to my buddy in Michigan. He could tell me exactly what it is. Jimbo has written me a note that it's a pintail. You know, I should have sold enough of them to know that it's a pintail, but he's written me a note. You know, he knows. He could, he read me. He knew. I don't know what the, I, I, but I don't have to know this product 100%. If I kind of know what it is, I know roughly what it's worth, then that for me, that's when the fishing comes in because here my, my, my fish is out there. Here's my bait and my chant is my cast. Yeah. You know, I'm just trying to get one on the line. So one of the things that Junior, that, I learned early on is you have an auctioneer that does not do a lot of DU banquets. They'll say, hey, Jimbo, can you write me, can you give me some starting amounts and what it's worth in the catalog? And I used to always say, no, (laughs) because I don't want the auctioneer to have any dollar figure in his head. You don't want him to have an anchor point. I don't want him to have an anchor point because a lot of those guys will get stuck at that item or get stuck on an amount. And if the bidding slows down, they're done. And I've seen, and, and so what I'll do with juniors, I'll, if, if there's an item that I know in the room that somebody is there and we need to get to, or it's been donated by somebody locally, and this comes from junior and I working together really you know, since 2019, but we, we worked together prior to that a few times at Paris. But it, for one year working with an auctioneer, you're doing 30 events. Mm-hmm. So I pretty much know everything that junior is going to do in an event I can tell you every story he's told. But the thing is, is I didn't ever give Junior dollar amounts. So he is on, 
he's the expert when it comes to an auctioneer. He's there to sell the item for the most amount of money and raise the most amount of money for DU. So I'll give him, a, if we have a reserve, I'll give him the reserve. If we have a, a special item that's donated in the room and I know that this person will get upset if we sell below that, I, I will tell him, hey, get to this or we need to get to here and I don't care how you do it. Um, there's just things you do as a, a regional director and an auctioneer, and I can do them in the room now. We, I obviously, uh, Gabe Baker, our new regional director here in West Tennessee, is doing the events. Gabe's young. Gabe doesn't know all the ticks and tactics, so uh, I came to an event to help Gabe and be in the room in case he had a question. And Junior looked at me, and I nodded at him, "Yes, go ahead and do this," because I know. And huh. so, um, but that's but cool. that's that's one of those little things about Junior and amounts and 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 his what he does that is so special and unique to auctioneers is he doesn't know. And what's funny is I, this is one of my funny things about junior is we sell a big trip during vacation. Well, junior starts at 10,000 almost every time and everybody in the room gasps yeah, or laughs or laughs. Ha, huh, there's no way. And I, and I, I, I just sit back and smile. Cause I know where he's going next. You start high so that people in their head, they're thinking, Whoa, this is a high value item. That auctioneer just started at 10,000. But knowing that the reserve is set at 6,000, I know what he'll do. He's going to back it down and he'll he'll say, "I need practice and so do y'all. Let's start at 2,000." And then we build it up. But at the whole time he's doing that, people in the crowd are going, "He started at 10. If I can get this for 8, that's $2,000 less than where he started. I'm getting a deal." And I know I'm making $8,000 on this trip. So it's a it's something that where you have an expert and professional auctioneer compared to, you know, a, a different auctioneer and, and what the bar they set and where he wants to get to and where we get to. And it's that's what has made Junior so unique in what we do and, and what a lot of auctioneers, professional auctioneers that do. So how many books or how much have you studied like psychology of decision-making because the, some of the things that you've talked about here and anchor point, the fear of losing out, getting people engaged in something, having when they, they think they're going to, once they bid on something, they have some ownership of, they feel they have some ownership of it and you, you kind of go from that. I mean, how much of that are you, have you studied? Have you read up on? Because that plays into that kind of human decision-making, right? Brace yourself. <laughs> Not a lot. I was, wondering. I, I was told a few weeks ago, actually on the way to Oklahoma, uh, back in February, that uh, that that I, I was not going to be successful because I didn't read twelve to thirteen books a year. And most successful people read twelve to thirteen. I haven't read twelve to thirteen books in my life. I don't watch TV. I don't listen to the radio very little. I, I work. I love to work. It keeps me busy. Uh, and uh, so, really, I, I, I think a lot of it is just that on-the-job learning. You, it's, it's that. And that's one of the things with the auction school. I, I tell the guys, I want you – and we did that. That was so fun. We went to Sykeston the other night. And, and I was like, hey, some of these guys have never been to an event like this before. Could I bring them with me? And they're like, absolutely. And, and there were a couple of the guys scared to death. They did not, because I told them, I said, look, we, we split you in two teams. There were six guys. We split you in, this is, like my granddaddy would say, sink or swim. You know, when you're a kid, he said, my dad my dad threw me in the water and it was sink or swim. And that's kind of what it was. But I think that's, you learn, when I was in auction school, a guy said, every time you get an education, it costs you something. Either you've signed up to take the class or you had to learn it the old-fashioned way. And when you learn it the old-fashioned way, you don't forget. So these guys are down there. And, and that's one of the beauties of being, 
the the auctioneer. And a lot of people, and that's one of those misconceptions, just like the, the fast talking thing. A lot of people think that the auctioneer is just up there talking fast and it's confusing and they don't know. When I'm up there, I can look at you and tell whether or not you want to bid again. I can look, I have a good enough relationship with my professional ringman that I can say, Justin or Ben or whoever, go talk to this person and ask them to bid one more time. And I'll tell them, I won't quit until you do. When you shake your head, no, I'm going to ask you one more time, but then I'm going to stop. You know, it's not going to be one of those things where I'm going to sell it out. For, a lot of people are afraid to raise their hand because they're afraid you're going to just sell it out from under them real quick. We're here to raise money. You know, that's that's what our job is to raise the most money we possibly can. When you tell me you're finished, I'm going to sell out. So I think a lot of that has just been, it was those years of doing those pro bono deals, you know, because for me, that was kind of getting some experience, you know. But as far as reading and studying, not a whole lot. It's just just picking up on on real world events, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and happenings. You when somebody, and that's like he, he mentioned the woodliners, and and I forget sometimes that he's heard every one of them, every joke that I tell, everything that I work <laughs> in. But but each week, and we may do three in a week. That's the first time those people are ever hearing it, and they'll hear it again next year. But they're going to forget by then. But I just told, and I sometimes I think, God, you just use that Thursday night, and it's it's, it's Friday. But these folks have never heard it before because they just they're slapping their legs and laughing or whatever. But and that's another one. You you just like that. Did they react well? Some of that stuff, and and I forget which one it was. Uh, shake it up. My, my wife's favorite one is shake it up and down. It works a lot better when you shake it up and down. And and I didn't read this. It was just a, a spur of the moment thing. And and the people reacted well to it. So I kind of put that in this mental Rolodex. I'm like, hey, I'll use that one again. And there's some, maybe they don't react. To it. One of my favorite ones is if somebody just raises their hand once, and, and no offense, Billy Ray Cyrus, if you hear this, but I say, Billy Ray Cyrus had more than one hit. Nine <laughs> times out of 10, that person is going to raise their hand again because people don't like to lose. Or you say, your mother didn't raise a quitter or second place don't suit you. You know, I'm not forcing you to bid. I'm just asking you to bid. You know, second place doesn't suit you. You know, yep. they just, they they can't help it. There. I mean, and it's You're going to wake up tomorrow yeah. morning and regret it. Yeah, you're going to hate yourself on the way home or yeah. If it's if on a Saturday, you could brag about this one in Sunday school tomorrow. You know, it's just little things like that. So let me ask you a question about, as you see the auction getting underway and you start to see the reaction of the crowd, the, the, the energy in the crowd, if it's not going well, if I, because you do these, you do multiple events, you're seeing the same items, event after event, a sample of the, of the items are going to be the same from event to event. And so when you see maybe the, maybe the temperature of the, the proverbial temperature of the room isn't that great and, and maybe items aren't selling as good, what does it take to not sort of process that personally, to take it personally as though you're not doing a good enough job. How do you kind of separate that from just, it's just the way the room is versus I'm not doing a good enough job? It's it's funny you say that tonight because tonight is MUS night, mm -hmm. right? My first varsity chapter was three years ago, MUS. We did it at uh, some little, uh, a little feed place on the other side of town. And that night, I realize because you think when you're coming in, you know, and and not to toot your own horn, but I, I'm I'm here to run. We're going to raise some money. We're we're a big deal, but then all of a sudden you realize you're just like the bartender, you're just like the the ticket girls, you're just like the kid. You're there and you have one job. Nobody, nobody. Now it's changed because now a lot of these times, I mean, you build a community, you build friendships. So these folks do. Some of these folks do know me now. They'll hug my neck when I walk up. But then that night it hit me. Oh, you're just you're just a hired hand. You know, you're just like these other guys. You cannot take anything personal. These guys don't know you. If you get up there and you're doing your thing and they're just not because I'll be perfectly honest with you, I'd say 95% of the people in the crowd 
have zero idea how the auction itself works. They're there because it's a fundraiser. They're there because it's an event. It's my job to make them enjoy. I, I tell people sometimes we're going to treat you so many ways, you're going to have to like one of them, you know? And so so it's my job to, to do some little something that gets them involved because they really don't want to do that. You know, they, they're they afraid to raise their hand or that, that they, the, the, the thought of it being a high-pressure sales thing kind of scares them a little bit. I hate high-pressure sales. That's why I put the ball in their court. I won't quit until you do. You know, I'm not going to, you know, you got to, got to, got to, got to, you got to. Some of these guys are just wide, they got two speeds, wide open or stopped. You know, a lot of times, uh, one of the big things in, as, as, as an auctioneer that owns an auction school, people call, they want to know, what are your filler words? What words are you saying? At these events, a lot of times, it's the money, how much I have, how much I'm asking for, and and or now. You know, I'm just, I'm hitting that number, 250, 50, 50, 275, and now 300, now 325. It's not that 20, it's not confusing. I'm not trying to confuse them because my job is to raise money. And if if you know where I'm at and you know where I'm wanting to go, then we've blended this thing and it's it's a beautiful marriage when that thing happens. So try to be clear, try to work the crowd and don't take it personal because you're just a hired gun. And we've, and and, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but we we've been, numerous times and 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 junior could almost name every place i know i can we've been to events where it's not happening oh yeah it's tonight is not the night <laughs> and neither one of us recent memory <laughs> have ever taken that personally and there and what's really what i have always enjoyed about junior is no matter what other other chairmen other volunteers from other chapters will come and we'll sell a couple items for less than what we paid for them and they'll look at me and they'll say why did you let him do that and because I and my answer has always been because we'll make it up somewhere else. Junior knows where it should be. Junior knows what we need. He knows the end result, and Junior will make it up on another item. He'll hit on something that we don't always hit high dollars on, and he'll make that money up tenfold. And that's one of the things about Junior that you know may has made my job so much easier is that I never have to worry about us losing money on an auction. That's a pretty. Uh, I consider that a pretty insightful decision on your part to go ahead and sell something, even if it's at a bit of a loss, because when you fail to sell something, you're sending a message with that we don't have a good crowd or we're not, and, and tonight isn't the night for us to raise a lot of money. But when you sell something, most people don't have any idea whether you're selling it at, you know, at a 200% uh, gain or, or a loss, right? And so that's pretty, I mean, is there, is that part of your thought process there? Absolutely. We just don't want this. We don't want to start creating a bad atmosphere. Yeah. But I think that's that, that goes for just a regular, and I, I hate to use the term Saturday auction, but if you're doing a regular estate auction, and, and I sat down with the seller like, well, what are these items? I mean, there's certain things. I mean, if it's a house or a car, I don't care to take it with reserve. But I start every item, especially my online auction, I start every item at a dollar. If I sell a $500,000 house, it's going to start at a dollar because I want everybody to be involved. And once you've owned it for a little while, mm -hmm. I've said this before, yeah. you own it for a little while, own it again. Okay, so that's that's one of the things that we try to do. And but I, I tell them, I'm like, some of these items may bring a little less than what you're thinking. Some of them are going to bring a lot more. But at the end of the day, I think the average, the whole picture. If you look at the whole picture, you're going to be extremely satisfied. You know, and that's that's really what we're trying to do. We used to say that about trips. Yeah. And Junior and I have had many many conversations about are we going to sell this trip to a proxy bidder? Yeah. Right. That's not the right word. Not a proxy bidder, but a, a dummy bidder. Right. We're not going to sell it, but we don't want to lose the momentum in the room. So we used to do that a lot with chips up, oh, sold, it's undervalued, and it's sold to one 
178. 178 is not a bidder. It's Junior's back pocket bid. And we don't sell it that night. And we used to do that all the time. And, and recently, it, probably COVID created this, where we're where sometimes somebody just needs to think about it, right? And it's a trip that we can sell multiples of. And, yep. and this is, you know, where we we have an unlimited amount of trips, which we don't have a ton of those, but we do have some. And so Junior will say, if you're interested in this event, come see Jimbo. This is what it's going to take to buy that item. And we used to not do that. And we've started doing that more recently because sometimes, and this has happened a lot more since we started this process, but they'll come up and start talking to me about it. Give me some more details. What's the, what do you know as the regional director for DU? What do you know about this trip that will help me? Me want to buy it, and I don't do that on, on on certain trips. But our trips that we have uh, a lot to sell, I will do that. And Junior knows those, and so we we will allow somebody kind of think about it for a little bit. They got to do it that night, and then say yes, and and that works well too. So the trips are one thing. Other items, man, most of the time I've never not sold something because of that. You want to keep that momentum going. Yeah, momentum is the word that I was looking for that I wasn't able to grab, wasn't able to find. But because I've been to banquets where, and, and that's exactly it. Items are selling, items are selling, and then you you don't want to lose that momentum because one or two don't sell. Or let's say the momentum is, let's say you don't have momentum right at the start, but then eventually you get it. And so I'm sure you guys have had ex- numerous experiences. You just talked about how you had some where you just know it's not the night. Talk about the other. How exciting is it when, for, for you as an auctioneer, how exciting is it for you when there is intense competition for item after item and it feels like it's it's you're getting top dollar for every everyone that's that's when it really y- y- you you get to look like a superstar cuz cuz that's the easiest nights those nights when the bids are are a little scarce that's when you have to work your tail off you know but those nights when everybody's there and and there have been there have been nights and i hate to keep going back to new madrid y'all <laughs> but if you ever get the opportunity to go to that little eagle building in new madrid missouri oh my goodness the first weekend of march every year it is worth it i mean and every year i think it cannot get better this year y'all we had we had been to jackson for that south gibson deal we had just sold the first gun of the year which this year is a 28 gauge uh super, super eagle. black eagle all right, Jimbo been talking about it for a year. It's coming. We had the twelve, had the twenty. Now we it's got nice the twenty-eight gun. gauge. Yep. And I think it sold for was it five thousand that night we in sold, Jackson, and we, we sold, sold two. two. Of them. All right, so we get to New Madrid, and and this is just like a purrier. It's just a lot of. It's a farming community. Eight hundred. You know? Yeah, there's eight hundred people. Eight hundred people in New Madrid. I mean, wow. it's it's a little town, okay? Just a little farming community about like Perrier, and we get. And I tell you, and I, that's one reason I'm looking forward to Vegas so much this summer because. I tell people that's I probably had more fun in that room than I have anywhere there. But this year we had the gun of the year brought ten thousand dollars and we sold two of them. All right, and this this is where this is where that relationship with your RD because he, he looks at me at like seventy four hundred and I'm just I do I shake my head no I'm like these guys we're, we're going to get to a point and it's they're going but right now we're raising bucks for the ducks so you can tell you know? if there's yes. more money in the yes audience. you can tell I mean just the fire in their eyes but the thing about it is is when somebody comes up and says when you get to this item let somebody set it in and don't take your eyes off of me they're telling your ringman that I mean it's game on yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a professional pickpocket, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put your feet to the to the fire. All right. So these and these are these are good guys, and these these are guys that have become friends. I bumped into this gentleman again at Saxon the other night. He came over and, and shook my hand. Uh, wanted wanted my card, you know, for another little event he might be doing or something. And I, I think that's neat, you know, that you built that relationship here, and you may get to do it over there. But anyway, we're sitting there, and this thing gets to ten thousand, and guess what? We sell two. 
And then uh, there these these we got to to uh, Saxton the other night. Their their trip. I mean, and that that crowd was off a little bit. And we get to that trip, and we sold four of those trips for seventy three hundred dollars a piece. You know, and it's just like holy smokes, it's amazing. You know, when all of those things and the plan comes together, Jimbo kind of alluded to this earlier. One of the one of the and, and to go back to a previous question, one of the hardest parts though, as 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 the auctioneer, is when when you have to, and I hate to say market and sell an item because you're really the marketing op- opportunity is over. When you get up there and these folks are seeing these big trips, you know, for for a lot of folks, for most folks, a sixty five hundred dollar trip that's a big purchase. Sure, it's a big purchase. You need to think about that. You know, that's like what what, what I do when I'm when I'm selling grandmother's. State, I want you know two to three weeks, four weeks to market that item because for me it's not about the event, it's not about the fast talking or the online auction on Saturday. It's about the items that we have. The people really don't care what the process is to get it. If you let them know what they've got, what what's here, and they're looking for that, they're going to find a way to get it. You know, not everybody has the internet, so an older person might come over and say, "Hey, could we do that?" And that's kind of what it is with these bigger items on those trips. That's the hardest part because you've got to, and and sometimes you get them sold. Sometimes you don't, but that's why we started that. I mean, I thought, you know, this guy, hes we're close. Now, if, if we could have 6000 for a trip and we're hung up at 3300 I don't care. Folks, the same way, if I've, if I've got something on my lot tomorrow, you know, if we, we're over there and, and we're way off, you say, hey, guys, we're not even in the ballpark. Let's go on to the next lot. That way you're not killing the momentum. But if we get close, y'all, we're, we're close to getting this deal done. Talk to Jimbo. He's on the ground. Talk to Jimbo. We want to get it done. Let us know if we get it done. We'll give you a big round of applause. You know, let them know how much we, because this thing, the volunteers, yes, but it takes bidders to make an auction. It takes, normally takes at least two bidders to make an auction, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, the bidders are, are the backbone of that thing, you know, they make it happen, so. And Jimbo, the nights where everything is going, uh, going gangbusters, you've got a lot of active bidders. Those are the nights, those are the happy nights for the RDs, right? You live for them. I, uh, David Schusler, uh when David and I, when I, when I, we talked about this new role. I told him, I said, you know, one of the hardest things about this decision was that adrenaline. I played college football. From the event. <laughs> yes. You, you, you know, I played college football and, and going out in that field and having people, you know, clap for you and, and playing in front of uh, larger crowds was, was an adrenaline. You know, the word adrenaline junkie is probably a, not the best word to use, but you get that as a regional director. And the live auction to me, I've always explained to a lot of my friends that don't come to all DU events, but they come to a, a good number of them. I say, this is entertainment. This is not what you would consider a a a certain banquet this is an what junior does is a profession and an entertainment aspect that you can't buy everywhere else and when you when you i've had a lot of people message me and and send me facebook messages and say can you send me that guy's number i want to uh, reach out to him tell him thank you or tell him hey man what you did is incredible because just like the guy that that hangs sheetrock that looks really, really good in your house that you pay a lot of money to do that, that guy's a professional, and that's the same way Junior is. And so having a professional do your work is priceless. And so it, I, when he started, it's really funny, when he started his chant earlier, uh, when we started this podcast, I had goosebumps. And mm-hmm. I still to this day get goosebumps listening to his chant. And I have heard it more than anybody Probably more than anybody because I've been there every time. His have, we, two, have we done a hundred together in the past three oh, years? Absolutely. Pretty close, absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, besides Justin and Ben, his two ringmen, um, 
I've probably heard him more than than most have. Um, and you don't get tired of it. I never do. And, and I was going to say this earlier about selecting your auctioneer. Accents, tones. There's a lot of things about a voice that uh, carry heavy weight in an auctioneer. I think Junior Junior's a, a amazing singer. And I think part of that plays into Junior's soothing tone as an auctioneer not overbearing the only time it's overbearing is when i put when i have to have five speakers and people have to sit right in front of them but it's not junior's fault right and what's really funny is i've worked with him so many times i know man i'll I'll give him a nod of hey you know your voice is too high he cranks the bass up he he understands that but it's a soothing it's a soothing voice and that, that sounds really no i get it but but it's it's I've got a guy crush. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's all I'm almost feel like I do in this funny thing. Yeah, but it's mutual, brother. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's just, I think, I've, hearing so many auctioneers throughout my career, I, I have never gotten tired of that one. Yeah. And I think it has a lot to do with the tone of his voice, the way cadence, he carries it, yep. and the cadence, and the way he carries the microphone. And I think that most regional directors in the country, I would say probably 75 to 80%, maybe more, um, have a go-to auctioneer and that they will, a lot of them will probably tell you the same thing. It's a trust. It's the sound of their voice that they don't get tired of and it's success. We're going to take a break right here. We're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about your story, Junior, going back to your your stage fright sure. uh, issue and and then kind of what you're doing now and what are the other aspects of kind of getting into auctioneering and then uh, some favorite stories, favorite memories, that type of stuff. We're going to get back into that. So stay with us, folks. We'll be back in just a second. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Junior Stagg, auctioneer here in West Tennessee, and Jimbo Robinson, the director of event marketing and field support. And uh, Jimbo is the one that discovered Junior and brought him to the uh, DU auctioneer circuit. And so, Junior, I want to talk a little bit about your history, how you came to, to, to become an auctioneer, referenced earlier that you know, the whole stage fright issue. And, and so what was it? I mean, we've also heard that you, you're a musician, you're a singer, that you play the guitar. Forrest right? Gump. I'm, I'm a Forrest 21st Gump. century Forrest Gump. So, so maybe, <laughs> you know, we could use your story as someone, there's a lot of people that don't like public speaking, yes. don't like being in front of other people. You were one of those, but now look at you. What was that like? How'd you figure out that you wanted to become an auctioneer? And then how'd you get over your stage fright? So when I moved to West Tennessee, I uh, went to school, started as a non-traditional student. I think I was 25 going to UT Martin, met my wife there. And uh, she introduced herself uh, and told me with this great pride and her chest stuck out that my uncle is an auctioneer. 
I told you, I'd never been to a DU event growing up. I'd, I'd only been to one auction growing up. The little place is still going, Zip City, Alabama, Zip City Auction House. It's not much bigger than this room. And if they sold a $10 item, they did a great job. So I thought, why would you be so proud of... So one of our first dates was one of his auctions. They're in Purrier. I, I could drive by it almost every day. And he sold the farm and he sold this tractor for like 50000 And he sold the house. And he, I thought, people do this? So I'm just like a lot of you folks. That's one of the things that we've done with TikTok. We took this TikTok channel and we realized that not everybody understands. Actually, most of the people in the world don't understand the auction method of marketing. So, and I definitely didn't. I didn't know anything about it. So I was going to school studying public relations and uh, was working with, with a big company in Arkansas that's kind of, we won't name the name, but just a huge retail store. And it was my third tour of duty with them. And uh, I was working in management and uh, the first time back as a student in several years. So I said, look, if I need to step back, I want to. Well, they wanted let me step back, but they want to take away about a dollar and 50 cents. I'm like, nope, that's not going to happen because when you need a cashier, you need something, you're going to call me. I won't pay for it. I want to go. Well, you're going to have to go. And her uncle's like, well, you come to work for me. And I started out, y'all, you talk about the American dream. I started out as a grunt packing boxes as a, not even not, not even anything to do with the auction you're just getting it ready and uh, slowly but surely we started doing this well I proposed to her in uh, in November uh, 17 years ago and he says if you're gonna work for be part of this family you got to learn to do this and he handed me this oh worn out hoe and it was down at the, on the trailer at the end of the auction I was like well, I don't do that I'm not gonna do this stand up in front of people here you go he kind of thrust me into that position so then I started call that the ringman you started working the ring holding up items or whatever and uh, to kind of flash back 1984 when he started the business uh, my wife was born in August he went to auction school in August, and his only son died at 18 years old in a motorcycle accident in September while he was at his first auction. So uh, you say Jimbo found me. I think the good Lord put me and Jimbo in the—I I, I don't question those things. I think the good Lord put Katie in my path. He put Doug in my path. And uh, because a lot of these things are generational. It's like farming. You know, you take over your dad's farm. Your dad took over your granddad's farm. He didn't have anybody to give it to. My wife, she was, went to school to be a teacher. That's what she's always wanted to do. And so I'd been working with him probably a year and a half, just working the ring, getting auctions ready. And it was about this time of year, y'all, a little town called Cottage Grove, Tennessee. I could take you to the very curve. And I said, what do I have to do to become an auctioneer? And he said, I didn't think you were ever going to ask. I just wanted you to finish college. But if you want to do it, I'll pay for it. And so he wanted me to go to Missouri Auction School at the time. That was like the Ivy League of auction schools and uh, couldn't get in. So we went to a little auction school down in Tullahoma, Tennessee, and uh, got the basic education that was required, came back and went to work. He had never heard me sell before. My wife had never heard me sell before because of that stage fright. And I got down the day before. I, I was telling Chris before the, the deal started here, but the day before, I mean, I went to him. I was like, look, man, I didn't sleep last night. The thought of standing in front of these people is, is, is it's killing me. And he looked at me and he goes, failure is not an option, Hoss. And I mean, when somebody gives you a tall order like that, that's pretty much what you got. So went to auction school, got elected class president, and basically just did auctions for seven years and lost a friend of mine in 2013. And uh, he had encouraged me to compete. And, and he told me, just pretty point blank, you don't begin living until you step outside your comfort zone. And uh, he, he passed away. And then I thought, I spoke at his funeral, first time I'd ever done that. And uh, I thought that's the hardest thing I'd ever done until I did his auction. And so we did his auction, two-day event, and with five minutes to go before the Friday auction, I couldn't see. I was I was sobbing so Because so you knew a lot yeah. of those items. You yeah, had I mean, it was him. I mean, yeah. I, I was selling little pieces of him, you know? 
And uh, and I know it's it's just stuff, but for me, it was little pieces of him, you know, sure. 84 years and you got to do this. So I thought when the auction was over, his son came, his son lives in Colorado and he says, look, I forget exactly how I put it. He said that was the utmost professionalism with a little bit of pizzazz. And I, for some reason, that just gave me this fire. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to enter my first contest, which was about 10 days later. Wow. All right. And uh, I'm a big Alabama football fan. Have been most of my life. And you guys will remember this Saturday that's, night. That's the, why I have this Mississippi the, State I saw that. I saw right that. Here. The kick six. You'll, you'll remember the kick six. I got Johnny Reb over here in, in the Mississippi <laughs> State there. But the kick six. Uh, Auburn. I don't know what Nick Saban was thinking, but he kicked this doggone field goal, and the guy ran it back 106 yards. That was the night before my first contest. Wow. So you can imagine how excited I was to compete. But you, you, I'd planned. I kind of knew what was coming, and and I wasn't competing against. I've never entered a contest, and I've been fortunate enough to win nine championships, y'all. And I've never competed against anybody but myself. It was just a personal growth. But I went down there with the goal of winning, and in the in the pre the, the pre contest meeting room, they're like, hey, by the way, we've added questions and answers to this year's contest, something that was not on the YouTube videos that I'd studied. Mm. And I was like, oh, poop. So I got up there and I gave it everything I had. And I thought, this is pretty good. The guy that was going to win had been the reserve champion three years in a row. And uh, he had been the student body president at the largest university in the state of Tennessee. Uh, He was a very eloquent public speaker. So when it came to questions and answers portions, the first question was like, as a member of the TAA, the Tennessee Auctioneers Association, what's something you would change? Well, I'm, I love country music. I'm three chords in the truth. I said, y'all, uh, being the newest member of the Tennessee Auctioneers Association, I don't know that I've been around long enough to change anything. And as my granddaddy would say, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. That was my answer. The second answer, I don't remember. <laughs> but I sat down, went to the back of the room, and I sat down beside my mentor, and I said, I just kicked a 57-yard field goal, and they're going to run it back for a touchdown. <laughs> and he goes, yep, you sure did. And I thought, oh, I'd planned on the, on the bid-calling part, the actual chant, but I hadn't planned on the question. And then I won that thing. I'll be done. You know? And then that kind of, that was that stepping. I didn't just step out of the comfort zone. I jumped, and then I pulled a parachute for a while. But, uh, yeah, I went on to, uh, and I'm, I don't think I'm through. I'm going to enter this summer for the international championship. It's, uh, it's one that, one of the prizes for it, if you will, is you get to come back to St. Jude, and you get to do the a little fun auction for the kids there. And, and as a Tennessean, St. Jude's part of your fabric. It's pretty special. You know? Sure and is. so that would be kind of the the ultimate cherry on top. Sure. And uh, that's that's kind of my why at this point, you know, to get to do that. Appreciate you sharing all that, Junior. Let's talk about the you, – you've kind of gone beyond that from, from being a, an auctioneer. Now you are – uh, you're teaching, yes, sir. The, the future auctioneers. Talk about that. You wear a hat. It's at Auctioneer University. That's yeah. your. That's that's the. Um, I guess the organization that you've started. Sure. So tell us about that. Well, that's one of those things too. Just like Jimbo mentioned, with with when you're going to do an event like this, you need to know your product. You need to kind of have an idea of your crowd. The same thing if you're going to win a contest. I mean, it's not an auction. It's not a Saturday auction. It's a dog and pony show. It's an opportunity for you to get up there and showcase your talent. I call it the chocolate gravy recipe. They give you a scorecard. This scorecard has 100 possible points. If, if your overall appearance is not there, if your introduction is not there, they're telling you what the recipe is. You just got to serve them what they want. And if you put a little too much sugar in it, it's not their recipe. If it doesn't have enough this, it's not their recipe. So I started doing a thing after I won two or three classes. I started a YouTube series. And it was basically just kind of helping people build their bid calling chant. And from that, uh, I was actually coming home from Memphis one night about this time of year six years ago. And uh, my mama didn't want to talk. My granny didn't want to talk. My wife didn't want to talk. I thought, I'll just go live on Facebook, start answering some questions. And uh, that turned into like a 21 or 22 episode series of 
of answering your questions live. And uh, about November that year, somebody in one of those things says, hey, man, you should, you should teach a class. And uh, we call it the Bid Calling Boot Camp. Uh, we'll be doing a class coming up uh, April 25th and 26th, I think, will be 70 people from across the United States and Canada have come into Little Purrier, Tennessee, and my little office, it's an old double-wide trailer. And, and, and actually last year, about this time last year, I had a gentleman fly in in a $19 million Cessna citation with his son and daughter-in-law to take this class. And that was probably what motivated me for this year because, I mean, this guy had reached the pinnacle. When you can buy $19 million Cessna citation, you don't need the bid-calling boot camp. Mm-hmm. But the bid-calling boot camp is more than just working on your chant. For me, it's, it's that ministry. It's that sharing, overcoming. You know, this is where I was at, y'all. This is really where I was at. And, and if I can do it, you can do it. Well, from that... We, we saw a need for an auction school that was kind of preparing people for tomorrow's auctions. You know, for the most part, auction education has been the same for 100 years. You go in, you learn a basic chant. I can teach a parrot a basic chant. I could write a script over there that you could read. You could do the basic chant. But folks weren't learning how to market themselves, and they weren't learning how to do social media marketing or online auctions, things that I hate to call it the future because we're probably 15 years behind on some of that. You know, they weren't learning that. So that's what we're, and, and my best friend and, and business partner in the auctioneer university, he teaches uh, at a university level, teaches graphic communication. He kind of does what Chris does over there. And he has been another one of those blessings from from God. He, he just happened to be there at the right time. And uh, he, he does all the things that I can't do. And and we, we worked in some aspects, uh, online auctions. Jimbo did a great job during COVID. There were so many people that, that weren't allowed to do auctions. And I'm not just talking about fundraising. I'm talking about grandmother's estate. These things are getting put on hold. We were doing online. We were doing virtual. We'd set up a studio just kind of like we are now. Uh, no live crowd. We were going live, live streaming the auction, but I could talk to people just like I'm talking and looking at you, but I was talking to them virtually. And you were doing the the, the auctioneer chant. The yes. Same. Do it, Did do you have to slow it down at all? Yeah, some, some, but not really. You know, and that's really what he reached out to me, right? I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I really, I think that's why we really hit it off because he was, he was such a a trailblazer with that one. He is, he was, I don't know, up around the lake or somewhere. And he said, Hey man, I just saw a sign for an online auction. He was thinking about how can we, cause, cause it's one of those things. I mean, whether you can or you can't, you're right. I think that was Henry Ford, whether you can, or you can't, you're right. So when, when the world tells you, you can't do auctions anymore, you've got to, how can I do auctions? So for me, it was online. So Jimbo, he saw this sign. And he goes, Hey man, I saw a sign for online auctions. Can we do this? We'll see what we can do. You know, well, then we couldn't meet inside. What do you do? You start meeting under a tent in this parking lot. Y'all, we raised a lot of money right here in this parking lot. You know, over over the past three years, a little over $2 million. And I think we may hit that $3 million mark in Vegas this summer. It's going to be fun. And did I, did I, was I keeping track? Not really. But will that in 50 cents get you a pack of juicy fruit? Yes. But, but when you look back at that entire body of work, there were some auctions that were a little low, some that really exceeded your expectations. But as a whole, if he's happy, and my committees are happy, and DU's happy, I've got no choice but to be happy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you mentioned sort of the amount of money that you raised, $2 million, $3 million. Is that this year alone? No, that's been since the, my first DU event. Okay. And I had a question here on some of the, what I was thinking about is, uh, Jimbo, do we keep track of that? Or sort of informally, some do, some don't? Yeah, so we, there's not a formal... When you do a financial report, when every committee does a financial report, they put a live auction number. So, yes, there is a tracking of that, and you could easily do it. Uh, for Junior, we kind of had a number in mind, and, and I had to go way back, and he started doing the New Madrid auctions in, I want to say, 2014, and they're big, $70,000, $80,000 auctions. So, when I was looking at the number, 
And we did some auctions. We did a, a really neat auction in the fall, mm-hmm. Fate in the Field, um, a conservation through art partnership program here that uh, I'm sure the the podcast um, have heard about. But um, the partnership with Arts Memphis and Ducks Unlimited, um, we did that auction, and they we had nine or ten items. I can't remember. We raised almost eighty five thousand dollars, and that I, I said, and I was doing the math in my head, and I'm going, man. I need to go back and look at all of Junior's. So I went back and I, I Junior kind of pushed me on a program. He talked about marketability earlier, about put about how these trips are auctioned. And when I first started, I, I would tell him, I'd say, he would say, have you sent this information out to attendees? I, no. Why? <laughs> well, man, they don't know this trip. How do you expect <laughs> me to sell these trips? So, man, that is a, never thought of it. So I changed he pushed me to change the way that I presented it that night. We started doing full color programs. Every trip got a full page. We started doing a lot of things differently that we had not done in the past. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Junior giving me advice on how to market something to sell it that day quickly. Kind of like what he does with tractors and items that when he does a, a yard sale, not a yard sale, but a, a tractor farm type sale, which we have a lot of here um, equipment wise. And so I learned a lot from him in that time, but I've kept up with Junior's numbers. I went back and pulled some numbers, and there's some areas I may have given him a little more money than than I could remember or that I had written down on on stuff. And yeah, back a couple months ago, I think it was we had to get a thousand or fifteen, no six thousand dollars. That was a surprise to me. That was your last. That yeah, was that, that was my South last Gibson. official really event. And and I and I had from what I am very close, plus or minus thirty thousand. And to junior now, that's that's a lot of money, but it's, it's not pretty a lot close of money. to the it's, folks we hang out with. Yeah, so no, <laughs> that's a lot of money. But for money raised that night for for an auction, that's a junior and I have done. That's about average. So I, I knew he was close, and so I I from what I could tell, it was about sixty seven hundred dollars away from hitting two million. And I had already planned it. Like if it, if we didn't hit that number that night, I was going to be walking out with a door with a bunch of writing on it that was going to look really funny. <laughs> I guess I'm throwing it away. I don't know. But because I had put a date on it. And and when the auction started, I did not think we would get there. Then all of a sudden it just exploded and and we hit it on item four or five, which was wow. mind blowing. But yeah, so I, I know that Junior's raised uh two million dollars, especially now. How we get to three million, um, it will be, you know, it won't take long. But I, I know others, uh Jason McKee and I talked um recently about auctions and and his auctioneers raised three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I think it's becoming more of a thing. And uh in my new role, one of the sure. things I'd really like to work on is 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 a way to honor some of our auctioneers and the amount of yeah. money they raise for DU. Absolutely. I think that'd be great. Recognize the contributions, the very important contributions that y'all make to it because it's everything that you said, I mean it's I'm learning so much just by being part of this, sure. learning how you read the audience and how you how you then adjust and change and um, just all the little tips and tricks that's, it doesn't just happen. Yeah. You think about it. If you, you know, it's, it's a well-oiled machine. Yep. And one of the things that we, most, a lot of big auctioneers, huge auctioneers that travel the country and I'm not going to say in fancy jets, but they travel the country to do these mega, mega events. They charge 10%. Hmm. If we charge 10% of, if junior charged Tennessee Ducks Unlimited, myself and our, committee members 10% of the money he raised, we wouldn't be able to afford him. So, yes, Junior has never asked. We have a number that we've settled on. And if Junior goes above and beyond and we have those big numbers, yes, that committee will, will pay Junior a little bit more. But it's it's not, you can't make a living doing DU auctions. And I know some people that have tried to do that and have lost. Um, but I know that 
what Junior brings to DU is a lot more money than what DU pays Junior. And so you do auctions outside. I mean, you're a professional auctioneer. Uh, you do a lot of auctions outside of Ducks Unlimited. Yeah. That's my full-time job. Yeah, I, I went full-time. I worked uh, after, after leaving Martin. Uh, of course, my wife was teaching first grade then. And uh, I was working in a computer lab coaching soccer, uh, boys soccer in the spring, girls softball in the fall. And did that for, I worked there for six years, I think, coached for three. And there was the last year, uh, I, I mean, and it, it is, I mean, it, it's it's a percentage-based, and, and that's one thing, when, in my retail days, I just wanted to get paid a percentage. I hate high-pressure sales, but I love sales. I love being rewarded for how hard you work. And, I mean, I love coaching, don't get me wrong, I love it, I miss it. And, uh, but the thing about it is, is I missed a commission check that was probably twice of what my little stipend was to coach softball one year. And I told my wife, I said, honey, it's time. We make some pretty tough decisions. Am I going to do this? Because Jimbo kind of alluded to this earlier, how many different genres there are in the auction business. There, I, I don't have a number to back it up, but I would say the vast majority of auctioneers are part-time auctioneers or contract auctioneers. I own an auction company. I mean, we sell everything from Rolex watches to to lake properties and and fruit jars to you know collector car whatever. I mean, we've sold everything in between, and uh, that's that's kind of that we we made that decision that first year. It was rough, you know. We didn't eat out as much as we like to, <laughs> but that's one of those. I mean, you it, it goes back to that plan, practice, and perform. I mean, I had a business plan of what I wanted to do, you know. Uh, when I went out on my own, it was the scariest thing in the world, y'all, to leave that guaranteed money. And and start your own thing. But a guy told me when I was 19 years old, he says, look, I knew I'd worked for him for two years. I knew the day that you hired on, you wouldn't work for me forever because you're never going to be happy until you're working for yourself. My mother has been a hairdresser for 40 years. You know, she kind of planted that entrepreneurial spirit. My dad was more of a, he, he was he was a working man. He he needed he needed a boss. You know, he wanted to, he, he was a heavy machinery operator. He wanted to work on his own, but he needed to clock in. And he wanted to clock out. And when he clocked out, he didn't. I mean, there are a lot of times, I mean, I clock in at 7 o'clock in the morning. And he, he could vouch for me here with, with my big consignment auction that we did back in, in in March. There were a lot of nights we were down here in the big room. And and I'd be an hour early cataloging. I've, I've got two phones. I don't have a secretary. I've got two phones. And I'm cataloging like this right here, you know. And what are you doing? I said, man, I'm trying to get caught up on this auction. We're doing that at 9 o'clock. One night I had Justin drive me home. And and I think I fell asleep in hunting with the phone with the phone like this. And it's not like that always. But I mean, there's no clocking in and clocking out. It's it's if you're willing to hustle and you're willing to get out there and, and do it, you can you can make a good living in this. How can people get in touch with you and find out about Auctioneer University? Uh, auctioneeru.com. That's auctioneer the letter u.com. Uh, that's our website. Brent has made that thing pretty doggone mobile friendly because we know most folks are looking at it from a mobile device but uh, all of our contact information is there um, of course I'm, I'm the tiktok auctioneer on tiktok uh, junior stags on facebook uh, and 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 i'm like a box of chocolates y'all you never know what you're going to get but i also try to be pretty transparent you know what you see is what you get you know, what, what you see on social media, hopefully, is going to be the same guy you see when you finally meet me. It still shocks some people. I just called a young lady. She's coming in for the boot camp from Middle Tennessee in, in uh, 
late part of this month. And she's, it, it really shocks them when I call. I don't have a secret. I'm like, I don't want a secret. I, I want to be the face, the voice that you hear on the other end of the line. You know, some folks want somebody else to handle that. I'm not a great, I'm not a great delegator. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I'm not a great delegator. So but we're working on it. We're working on it. We're going to start wrapping this episode up here in just a few minutes, but we have, we, we still need to talk about favorite stories, favorite memories. Who wants to go first on that? Jimbo, you have a favorite memory, favorite story from a, from a DU event? I would say my favorite story is when Junior showed up to Jackson, Tennessee three years ago. This fall will be three. Yeah, yeah, this fall will be three. And he looked at me and I said, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and he said, man, I, I suffered another bout with Bell's palsy. And I said, so you can't feel the right side of your face. Not he goes, all. not at all. And I said, I'm no rocket science scientist <laughs> and I wasn't born yesterday. But in order to chant and do an auction, I would assume that you probably need to feel most of your face. <laughs> And he said, we're going to do the best we can. Most money we ever raised in Jackson. Now, that was also coming off of COVID. And they, that was one of their first big events coming off COVID. That, that played a very small part in it. But the part that amazed me was it never changed. He, it, nothing about Junior's chant, nothing about the way Junior did an auction changed. And I, I, I've told this story um, numerous times to other people. Um, that one is probably one of my favorite stories. One of my funniest memories is Junior never messes up very often. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this past fall, we were rolling on an auction. I mean, one of these highlight <laughs> big auctions. And Junior hit 6,500 three times. And I, <laughs> we got to 7,500. With new bids. With yeah. new, is that, is no, that like the same chant. He, he hit 6,500. We got to 7,000. Something paused us a little bit, got stuck, and we ended up at 6,500 again. Oh. Then we got back to 7,000. And somehow we ended up at 6,500 for the third time. <laughs> and he just looked at me after he got done, shook his head and started laughing. Then both of us couldn't stop laughing after that. But we got, I think we ended up selling it for $8,000. But it was funny. And I just kept looking at him and nobody in the crowd no. caught on. Not a single person. That's I did because I've heard it so many times. And I know what, when he goes up and down and, and how these... <laughs> I just started laughing. Look at it. I was like, we were at 6,500 three times. There he goes. Well, let's go. <laughs> yeah. That's, it, it happens. But that's the beauty of it. Because 99.9% .9 of the time, unless there's an auction savvy person in the crowd, people ask, what What if you mess up? You, you just roll you on. keep on going. You roll on. I mean, you just, just roll on. Uh, because if you stop and acknowledge you messed up, there goes your momentum. Sure. You know? Junior's not a man of fancy things. Right, that's that's the thing. What you see is what you get. He just alluded to it a second ago, and you're never going to see. <laughs> no matter what happens with Junior, he's laughing. He knows where I'm going with this. There's, uh, you're not going to ever see Junior roll up in a limo and somebody open the door for no. him. Right. What you're going to see Junior roll up in is a car, Toyota Camry, a Toyota Camry, ninety-four Toyota Camry, and Junior's ringmen are not small people. Right. <laughs> so I looked out in the parking lot and they come beat bopping into DU Park. I'm like, somebody's that was lost. Oil. Somebody, that was oil yeah. last year. Somebody's lost. Right. When people come to it, I'm not Hooty. putting anybody's cars down whatsoever because I drive an old car. But when they rolled in in this 1994 Camry that looked you like one of the, the wrong wheels, place. I thought they were in the wrong place. And I said, who is this? I said, hey, Roger, go out there and, and check on that car pulling in the parking lot. And man, he goes, man, that's your auctioneer. And I went, I just <laughs> put my head down. And started laughing. Well, this past Thursday night, we had our crawfish bowl again. I don't know if it must be something about the crawfish yeah, bowls. Yeah. Him and, and Ben and Justin. He's to bring an extra guy. Yeah, he has brought yeah. an extra guy. They roll up, and the three of them are in the front seat of this 
Oh four F one fifty. It's probably nineteen ninety four. It's an 04? Oh four. It no <laughs> shows my age. All right. Oh four. They are packed in there. Justin cannot put his hands. He has his hands single tucked. Cap. It's a single cab tucked in between his lap. And I just said, y'all, that, that, that shit, that's not right. He's laughing. I'm like, you're laughing at my truck. He said, oh, I'm just laughing at the situation. <laughs> now they're packed in there, but that's, that's junior. That's his, his humble upbringing and, and who he is. And, and I mean, the way they don't care, they just travel the events. He, he broke down one time, had to get a buddy, pick him up oh, God. and an old beater. I mean, there's, there's stories about about his, he it doesn't bother to him. But the one thing I can say uh, of all the funny stories we have, one of the ones is he's never let me down. I send him the event list. He moves things around to, to put Tennessee DU and us first. And a man that is of his talent and of his, you know, um, popularity now, he still puts us first. And uh, the only time I ever got mad at him is when he told me like the third time that he had the school board meeting. And I said, man, you got to get rid of the school board. <laughs> I'm the only person that's ever resigned a school board so we could do Ducks Unlimited banquets. Wow. I mean, that's, I think. that's, that's dedication. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> dedication. So what about uh, you, Junior? Uh, I'm sure you get this question often. Um, like, what's the, the strangest item you've ever sold? I want to go there. That, that's probably going to be outside of Ducks Unlimited Auctions, would be yeah. my guess. But within the within the DU auction uh, experience, anything in particular stand out? Favorite moment? It, it doesn't have to be a funny moment, but a meaningful moment. Uh, anything stand out in that regard? I think really, the, for, for me, and it's going to be outside of the DU auction, but it's still going to be DU family. And guess where I'm going with this one? I'm going back to New Madrid. Okay. Bill Henry's biggest fear is that when I go to Las Vegas this summer, that I'm never coming back to New Madrid. He's scared to death. <laughs> he's scared. I mean, really, he's been doing that. He's been their chairman how many years? 40 years or something. 40 plus, yeah. That's his baby. He doesn't have any children. He farms. That's his baby. He's scared to death that when I go to Vegas, it's going to open that door that he's seen that's going to open for a long time. And I've promised him I'm not going anywhere. And I said, I don't think you realize. I mean, when I, I'd, I'd gone over there, y'all, and I, I'm an emotional guy. Okay, uh, the Saturday night, the last time I spoke to my dad, I was getting ready to go to New Madrid. And a lot of times when I talked to my dad, we just talked. But my girls had ran off. It's a long story. We won't share that one. But my girls had ran off to their aunt and uncle's house. I was scared. I thought I'd lost them. I thought somebody picked them up. So I called my dad and we went through this story. And I got to tell him I love him and all that good stuff. We had a great last conversation because on Thursday of that week, he died. He had an aortic aneurysm driving home from work, and he's gone. He was here one day, and he was gone. And that committee at New Madrid, Missouri, every member of them, from the youngest one, Olivia, to the oldest one in the group, sent a card. And it wasn't just a card that says, we feel for you. It was a card with personal inscriptions. That's still in my desk. When I have a horrible day, when I have one of those Murphy's Law days, you know what I do? I go to that top drawer of my desk on the left-hand side, and I pull it out, and I open up that card. And I just remember, that was the worst day of my life. And those folks, they're family. And Bill, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> but the, the, the thing that he probably talks about, the funniest thing you've sold, is probably the tie. Yeah, his tie. That's for Ducks Unlimited. Yeah, for Ducks Unlimited, that's the funniest thing that I've sold for him. Is is every year is of course we our vests, and that's yeah. one of those things. It's just kind of a on the fly kind of thing. I bought a vest from him a couple of years ago, and I was like, hey, could you make my guys get your was it his mother? 
His mother in law, mm-hmm. some his mother makes these, these ties and made these vests Bottom and, and we travel. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's pretty nice. I think I've seen I've seen some of those some, uh, yeah. around. Maybe it, uh, I think oh, I've yeah. got them in the Bronco. I've got them in the Bronco. But I mean they they fix us up. But he this tie and I mean but but as far as the oddest ever and I mean this is one that's every interview I've ever done is we do a big event every year in January February there in Paris called the Henry County Helping Hand. It's a fundraising auction phone in like a, a, a Jerry Lewis telethon style thing, but it's all over the radio. And a few years ago, I was in there, and the, it was it was like the medical center day. Everybody, the little little communities get a day, the churches get days, and different things. So this was the medical center day, and I'm sitting here live on the air, and and lot number thirteen oh seven comes in, and I have to sell a vasectomy. I didn't just get to sell one that day. I got to sell two. You talk about a discounted vasectomy. That's one thing that I don't think I would want. But uh, we sold two vasectomies that wow. day. Two, two competing urologists or whatever donated these things. But yeah, that is probably the oddest or strangest thing I have ever sold. Yeah, whenever I was imagining the question that I was going to ask you, you know, that oddest item that you've ever auctioned, that was nowhere on my no, radar. No, it never is. I mean, yeah, but who, who? I mean, who can say they sold one? I sold two. We <laughs> sold some amazing things. We sold some scary things. But yeah, we we sold uh, Bill's tie a few times. We normally end the night like that, you know. But that one up there, it's 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 its own thing. It's uh, it's special. Yeah, and right. it was really it was my first DU banquet, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, yeah, when something like that happens, there's no other way that you can come away from that other than to identify that group as family. Yes. That's for sure. And so I can, I can certainly see why you, you led with that whenever you described what, what Ducks Unlimited yeah. means to you when you think about them. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. So I have a question here, like what's next for Junior and Ducks Unlimited? You've actually kind of introduced that already. You've mentioned it a couple of times, uh, Vegas. That is our national convention. Yep. And it is early June, late May, early June. Yeah, early yeah. June. Uh, I matter of fact, we're flying we'll, in the last day of May and flying out the 2nd of June. Is that right, yeah. y'all? I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. And we are going to be, by the time this by the time this airs, this uh, the national convention in Las Vegas will have already occurred. Yeah. I'll, I'll be there. And so I look forward to uh, to seeing you do your thing. It's uh, going to be fun, man. Yeah. And really, that that is, I told you kind of beforehand when I was a kid, all I wanted to do, I told Chris this, I just wanted to play music, but I really wanted to be the next Garth Brooks. And for me, that's going to be my Central Park. Yep. That is going to be my Central Park show. And this guy right here made it happen. Well, Thank that, you, man. Absolutely. That's awesome. Anything else we need to cover here, guys? I mean, there's a lot more that we could discuss. We haven't even really gotten to a whole lot of tips. We Well, maybe a few tips and tricks that you've done, but your style is all that kind of stuff that we could talk about. We really don't have time for that. But folks, if, if anybody's interested in learning more about becoming an RD for Ducks Unlimited. Well, like, just a, uh, yeah, I mean, a regional director, volunteer, anything that they want to do, they can uh, send me an email, jrobinson at ducks.org, or they can go to volunteerfordu.org or go to our new website, which still carries the same URL, but it's this, the improvements they've made on that website's incredible and, and learn how to volunteer there. But we have something for everybody everywhere. And uh, we are always looking for volunteers um, for Ducks Unlimited. And, and one of the taglines I've always used is come see what all the fun is about mm-hmm. because it's fun no matter what kind of event you attend or how you get involved. And, and people think that, oh, well, I, I don't have a lot of money, so I can't get involved with that. I don't have a lot of money, and I've been involved with DU on the staff and the volunteer side for a very long time. And I think that we we can find, I have always told people that um, if you can't afford a DU ticket, let me know and I will buy you one just to come see what all the fun is about because what we do is fun. And then lifelong friends have been made. Uh, I'm sure that lifelong partners have been made at DU events throughout the country sure. at some point and lifelong friendships. And and it's a uh, it's just something special. And what makes it even 
more rewarding is that you're becoming part of something bigger than yourself. You're giving to conservation, helping us leave the world a little bit better. Yes, sir. Absolutely. One other place where folks can go, Jimbo, is on that website that you mentioned, ducks.org. Scroll down down to the bottom and look up uh, careers. Uh, I think there's got a whole bunch of... A uh, whole bunch of uh, openings there. I'm sure there's some RD openings there as well. So in, encourage folks to, to, to check that out. Guys, this has been really fun. I, I appreciated the opportunity to catch up with, with both of you and kind of shed some light on an important part of the fundraising that, that uh, goes into Ducks Unlimited. Very special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Jimbo Robinson, Director of Event Marketing and Field Support here at Ducks Unlimited, and Junior Staggs, the owner of Auctioneer University and a very well-experienced auctioneer here for Ducks Unlimited, uh, Tennessee. As always, we thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for the wonderful work he does with these episodes and getting them out to you. And to you, the listener, we thank you for your support of wetlands and waterfowl conservation. 2100 Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.